Welcome, welcome. We're going straight into the two-person camera view tonight. We have no time to waste because, let's be honest, that wasn't a game that we want to talk about that much. Or maybe a lot of folks are really interested in talking about that game. I don't know. I guess we'll find out as the show goes on. I'm joined by Lauren Kelly from Elite Prospects. Lauren, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, great to have you back uh, on a Lightning game uh, as... People may not know you're a Lightning fan, but uh, obviously a good game to have a scout appear because talking about things that weren't this game, I think is going to be advantageous for the replay value of this show. So uh, as you may have guessed, uh, Lauren's the OHL scout or AOHL scout for Elite Prospects. She's been doing that for a long time, uh, back to when she was working for Sportsnet, etc., uh, so we're going to talk about Owen Beck a little bit. We're going to talk about Philip Meshar, but we got to get to the story of the game first because we, we can't avoid it. We got to talk about it. Uh, the Canadians for the second straight game came out absolutely flat, allowed their opponents to just take them to the woodshed and down 4 nothing uh, after the first period. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Lightning can finish a lot better than the St. Louis Blues, so they were in trouble. And, you know, it, it's hard to look at this game and give them much credit but the final 40 minutes was significantly better for the Canadians. Score effects, of course, are a factor. But uh, not the greatest performance, at least in the first period, for the Montreal Canadiens. No, and I don't think... I mean, obviously Jake Allen got pulled after the fourth goal, but I don't really think after re-watching the, those goals against that he allowed, I think the first three really... I don't think you can fault him all that much on. I mean, no. uh, Mike Matheson on a couple of those, especially. I mean, he was on the ice for, I think, all three of the first three goals. And uh, he just four. didn't look. Oh, was it was it all four? So it he didn't look four. he didn't look the best on. Well, pretty much any of those goals. I mean, there was the scanning. There was no scanning on the two nothing goal that he didn't pick up. Um, the first goal, there was no effort to get across to cover Kucherov on that one timer. Uh, and then the third goal, I mean, that was a power play marker. It looked like it deflected into the net, but he didn't take the guy alone in front. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really think Jake Allen can be play blamed uh, for at least the first three goals. I mean, the fourth one, obviously he got beat up high off the rush, but um, it tends to happen when uh, players pick the top corner at that perfect angle. Yeah, I mean, I think with Jake Allen, the first three goals, definitely, I would, like, on a normal night, I wouldn't put it on him. But then I look at how Sam Montembeau played the rest of the game, coming in cold. And, yeah, he he, had, he allowed that one goal to Paul at the end of the game there. But, frankly, I'm not sure that goal should have counted. Uh, Paul grabbed the puck, pulled it into himself, and then put it down. And usually, the closing your hand on the puck rule, it's whenever somebody moves their hand this way like laterally right you can move up and down but you can kind of grab the puck and throw it down but as soon as you move in and out usually the refs call that so surprised that they allowed that goal even if they weren't going to call the minor but Montebo was incredible uh, the only one i think that you could possibly fault alan for aside from the fourth goal was maybe he got over a little bit slow on kucherov's goal but it's nikita kucherov right so like i don't know that one, I know Frank Corrado on the TSN broadcast uh, pointed out that on the rush for that Kucherov goal, Matheson actually does scan, notices Kucherov, and backs off anyway. <laughs> and it's like, oh, gosh. I don't know, man. That's The decision-makings aren't, uh, they're not going very well for Mike Matheson lately. It's been an ongoing story that he's been on the struggle bus. And I know there was some folks on uh, on Twitter and different social media tonight being like, why are everybody being, why is everyone being so hard on Matheson when like the whole team is 
starting these games terribly the last couple games. And I think it's because everyone knows Matheson's not this bad and he plays a ton of minutes and there hasn't seemed to have been an adjustment to not play him tons of minutes, even in games where he's really struggling. So I think it gets really frustrating for, for people watching the game, but it's not all Mike Matheson, even though he was offered the first full goals. It goes way beyond just one player, these starts. Yeah, and I think uh, in, in this case where it kind of became obvious that Matheson was struggling, especially after the first couple of goals, maybe that would have been the opportunity to give Caden Gooley more minutes or uh, Justin Barron or even Jordan Harris, kind of move them up into kind of level off some of the minutes. Maybe Matheson is just fatigued and he's playing too big a role, too many minutes every night for this team. And, you know, a player can only do that for so long. I mean, not everybody can be like, uh, not everybody can eat 30 minutes a night uh, on a regular basis, or even that 25 to 28 minute range is not sustainable over a full season. And you have to take into account, we're only a month into the year, uh, barely even. So uh, obviously they're going to have to figure some things out. Uh, I'm sure Matheson's struggles aren't going to persist all season long. Uh, players tend to go through ebbs and flows, as we all know. Uh, but this probably would have been the game to, you know, ease off Matheson a little bit. But I mean, give him credit. He did find his way back into this game, especially as the team, you know, kind of got off their heels, started pushing pace a little bit more. And then they responded well uh, in the final 40 minutes. Yeah, I, I agree. He did come around uh, in the final 40 minutes there. I think the third period he had especially some plays that I really liked and the big, the two guys who had the target on their back after bl the Blues game were Matheson and Anderson, and now tonight I, I'm just watching like the media folks on Twitter and like, oh, Anderson was the best player on the Canadians tonight, and like, I thought he had a much better game than he's had in a couple of weeks here, but still on the power play, he is a play killer, <laughs> Lauren. He's such a play killer. There were so many plays tonight where Anderson had the puck and just didn't know what to do with it and put it in the worst possible spot. I hope that he gets some level of uh, like things going his way soon because even like tonight he had the, the tip shot that kind of didn't work and then he had that wide open net on the backhand that just glanced off of Radish's stick. It seems like he's cursed. At least now he's playing hard. Against the Blues, he was invisible. And I think that's the worst when you, when you can't notice Josh Anderson and he's not scoring, it's a bad combo tonight. At least he was visible. So I'll give him that. Yeah. And I think especially for a power forward, you, if you're, if the puck isn't going your way, if you're fighting it, if it's rolling off your stick, you got to find a way to make an impact, at least physically, you know, get in on the four check, kind of simplify your game. Try not to overthink your puck touches too much. Uh, and I think we did see that from Anderson. So hopefully he's starting to turn a corner after this game. You know, obviously this didn't start well for anybody on this Habs team. But, you know, this was a game that I felt they built a lot of confidence off of, Anderson included. Uh, and hopefully that's a, a reassuring side of things to come, that things are moving in an encouraging direction. Yeah, and I think also this kind of game, I almost would rather they don't come back. You know what I right. mean? Like they, they had a good final 40 minutes. They got their couple of goals or I guess three goals with the Dvorak getting the goal at the end there. But I think for a young team, you might learn the wrong lessons if you're able to come for nothing back in a game where you started so flat. Like, yeah, okay. It might be great for the confidence, but it almost reinforces the like, Hey, we only need to play 40 minutes. 
right? And for this kind of team, uh, for what they're trying to build, probably better to get spanked a little bit or sat down. Because you could tell once Tampa allowed that second goal, they really sat back. They were playing very, very conservative hockey. You know, Braden Point has an easy entry on a power play. And he's like, what if I just spin around two times and send the puck back to my own zone? Like, I respect the the hustle of, of the Lightning at that point in the game, but it was ter- terrible to watch. Yeah, and I think this is another example of, you know, obviously we know, or uh, maybe Habs fans don't know, but this is the third time in three games that the Lightning have chased a goaltender in the first period, or, well, not the first period in the Ottawa game, but they've chased a goaltender in the last three games, and then they have completely been bamboozled, I guess, by the backup goalie that has come into the net. And I think once Montembeau came into the, the net, you you could feel like the Habs almost took a collective like sigh of relief, like, okay, this is our opportunity to reset uh, this team has proven that they can't hold leads this season or even at the end of last season that they are f- not fragile necessarily, but there is an opportunity for us to get back into this game. There's a long way to go. And I'm sure that was the message from Martin St. Louis in the first intermission that, you know, the game is a long way from over and this is a good learning opportunity to a good measuring stick game. I mean, these teams uh, heading into this game, we're only two points apart in the standings, right? So the Atlantic feels very wide open. And just because, you know, the Habs are probably expected to be finishing somewhere closer to the bottom of the division by the end of the season doesn't mean that they aren't capable of playing up to at a, uh, the level of the Lightning uh, or even, you know, at least making them sweat a little bit like they did in the third period, especially. Yeah, you got to at least have something, you know, like pushing pushing teams that are ahead of you, make them worry a little bit. I'd say if there's anything positive to take out of this game, it's probably that Caulfield and Suzuki continued to look pretty decent relative to the rest of the team. And like the the top pairing right now, I know they're not playing the top minutes, the top matchups, but Caden Gooley and Justin Barron are the best pairing on this team. And I don't think it's even close. And there was, uh, I, I think it was the Blues game, actually. They started shitty, so it's probably not, a great thing to to hang your hat on but st louis threw out uh suzuki caulfield slavkovsky baron and Gooley to start that game and i believe the average age of those players though that five which is essentially the canadians core five right now uh is 22 which is pretty pretty fun so there, there's some positives to take out of it i guess and also montebo was a we needed to see that level of battle from him. We saw it a lot last season, but not so much this season. And I think that's probably a positive. But other than that, another kind of a, a write-off game, I would say. Sorry, my dad just made a cameo. Uh, it's garbage day in <laughs> Toronto right now. so No worries. No, we, we just saw a blur in the background. So right. he's still quite uh, incognito. But uh, yeah, okay. So that's probably all for the story of the game tonight uh, we'll probably we'll have more stuff to talk about uh, back mesh hour but first we got to tell you there's a new sponsor for the show so i'm going to do a quick little ad read here uh nhl season's eaten up there's never been a better time to get in on the action whether you're looking for look, looking to hammer an austin matthews anytime goal or ride the puck line with the montreal canadians don't do that uh, our partners at sign up expert want to make sure you're ready to sweat your bets with one of the best Sign up expert is hooking up our listeners for one of the newest sports books available in in Canada, Batano. Batano is home to some of the best odds when it comes to betting on the NHL and offers unique markets, including virtual soccer and basketball. 
All you have to do to get started is scan that QR code on your screen right now, or click the link in the description of this very video uh, to register and place that first bet. If you thought the Vancouver Canucks have been the best surprise of the season so far, wait until you try Batano. Don't walk, run to check out Batano today. Scan that QR code or hit the link in the description to get started and start sweating your bets with the best. Always remember to bet responsibly and within your means. Viewers must be 19 plus to sign up for Batano. Let's welcome Lauren back in. And I should mention, because I haven't so far, please like the stream if you enjoy it here and uh, subscribe to SDPN. And if you want to ask a question that's maybe off topic from what we're talking about, wait till the end. We will have a short presser for you where you can ask whatever questions you want of Lauren and I, and we will try our very best to answer them uh, in a way that is fun and interesting. And maybe you learn something, who knows, or maybe we learn something from you. You never know. All right. Uh, I Usually in this middle segment, I do like individual player performances and I try to stay positive, but coming out of this game and the last game, you know, I missed a couple of games when I was in Alberta for uh, the the Heritage Classic there. I'm kind of annoyed with this team right now. <laughs> I want to see a full 60-minute effort. I feel like there, that hasn't happened since they played the Golden Knights in a great game they lost in, I believe, a shootout. Uh, I... I'm frustrated and watching this game, there's one guy who I, I don't think he's like the biggest problem on the team right now. I think there's other fish to fry, but UL Armia, you're on the fringe of being not an NHL player anymore. You can't be losing foot races to Zach Bogosian. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Even like late in the game, I, the fourth line scored. I don't know if I don't even remember if he had anything to do with it. But, man, he is an anchor. Like, Pozzetta is bringing the energy every single game. Jake Evans has his limitations, but, like, he tries so hard. And then Yoel Armia, like, three different times tonight got picked while carrying the puck too slowly through the middle. Happened to Newhook and Anderson a couple times, too, tonight. The Lightning are very aggressive. But he is so lackadaisical. I don't understand how you could have, like, you're sitting there. You're, you got called up from the AHL after being waived earlier this year. You know this is your chance to, like, make an impact. Where's the effort level? Yeah, and I wonder if, I mean, honestly, I don't have a good explanation or potential reason for why, you know, obviously effort level was definitely in question at several points tonight. And I wonder if it's just, you know, a lack of confidence stemming towards, you know, being unsure of, you know, carries through the neutral zone or, you know, picking your routes. Uh, he's second guessing himself. It could be any any one of those reasons stemming, stemming from lack of confidence. But yeah, I mean, this is your almost last go around. You got to show your show your stuff, so to speak. I mean, you got to make a bigger impact, a more positive one than what was felt in this one. Yeah, it, it was it was rough. I mean, he wasn't the only guy, like I said, but uh I was I was not impressed with UL Armia tonight. He seemed like a passenger on the fourth line, and that's that's not a that's, good thing. <laughs> that's not exactly where you want to be, uh, no. given the circumstances. And and like frankly, like it's not like the fourth line was the worst tonight. I think the worst line consistently is uh, the Dvorak Anderson line uh, with with Newhook on it. Newhook on it as well. Uh, Newhook has flashes. Dvorak had that snipe at the end. 
Uh, Anderson, I think, had a good game, but like again, that line just it struggles. It, it really struggles. Um, like I don't know. I, I think I look at this game at the very least. They had some pushback. You know, Arbor Jack guy getting in a couple fights, but this was not uh, the the good uh, performance that we expect from a bad team, right? It, it's like it's one thing I think to be outclassed by a team, and it's another to beat yourself by always being second to loose pucks. And uh, you know, when every bounce is going against you, that to me says you're not putting yourself in a position to get those pucks. Right. And I think this was also a vulnerable lightning team. I mean, you take into account that they've blown so many leads this season. They haven't been able to win uh, a single game at overtime this year. Uh, they have shown at least recently they're on this on the second half of a back-to-back with travel. Yep. Um, this was honestly the, everything kind of laid itself out in the Canadians favor. If they had just started the first 10 minutes of this game with a little bit more jump and a little bit more intensity, instead Kucherov scores like 22 seconds in, I think it was. And then, you know, the snowball effect kind of starts right at the start of the game. And then, you know, they're already on their heels. This is a young team relatively your their confidence was obviously shaken with the way that first goal went in you know they're they obviously weren't expecting it and then it kind of just snowballed from there and it did take them a good 25 30 minutes for them to really start pushing and find their game and settle in uh, and i just think maybe with a, a more experienced team that doesn't happen uh maybe in like a season from now even that you know those shaky starts hopefully are on their way out being phased out of this kind of group of players um, but yeah, this was, this felt like an opportunity for the Canadians to come and, you know, run the show a little bit. They were rested. Um, and obviously they just kind of ran out of steam right at the start. And then they had, they, they were behind the eight ball from the very beginning, which makes it very difficult to come back. Yeah. And I think that that start, like, uh, we were talking earlier about not blaming Jake Allen. I think that fourth goal right before that goal, uh, it was, uh, actually the Dvorak line and the Evans line had two back-to-back pretty decent shifts in the Tampa zone. It was like the first two shifts after the first power play for the Canadians where they were actually putting pressure, uh, forechecking, getting pucks to cycle around a little bit. They weren't like getting anything on net, but they were pushing the play a little bit. And then Evans allows that pretty weak goal by uh, Isamont. And I think that's why he got pulled. It, it was like, it was not even just the four goals it was the timing of that goal happening that the coaching staff was like, okay, they, we got to shake things up a little bit. But even then it, it took them a long time to get things going again, get the train back on the tracks. It was, it was a bit of a wasted effort uh, in the end, but at least they didn't throw in the towel. That That's what I'll say. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about Beck and Meshar in a second here, but, but first, because there's comments going on in the stream chat here about Slavkovsky. I'm going to ask you, Lauren, what was, what were your thoughts on Slavkovsky tonight? Because I thought like if I had an ISO cam on just him, I thought he had a pretty decent game overall. He had some pretty nice defensive plays, some decent plays in the power play, nearly scored at a goal mouth scramble there. But again, also there are some plays where he makes a couple nice plays and then can't get it all the way to where you want it to go. Where are you on your eyes, Slavkovsky, right now? 
Uh, I think I'm on the page where it's way too soon to be writing him off as a bust. I think people are being a little bit dramatic in that sense. I mean, this is a 19-year-old kid who, you know, for whether you agree with the decision that the Canadians made to keep him in the NHL last season or not, you know, we're in, and this is a very pivotal season for him. And I think, you know, he's doing the little things, right. He's trying to get to the right areas. You know, he made some really good plays with the puck. He's back checking, you know, he's trying to do the little things that, you know, when the puck isn't necessarily going your way, he's trying to at least make an impact, uh, a positive one. Uh, and I think, you know, if you're a player who's working hard to improve in those those off puck aspects, you know, eventually things are going to start going your way. I don't know if as far as his development goes, maybe he should go to the AHL or I would hope at least that the Habs consider loading him to the world juniors this year, uh, just at least if not to build confidence, then to, you know, have him be in a situation where he is the top dog on a team. You know, he's, he can go to the world juniors and dominate with Meshar in team Slovakia. And they, that would be a very stacked Slovak team. Uh, that would, I wouldn't be surprised if they push for a medal with, you know, Adam Guyan and uh, other players uh, that, that would, you know, give Slovakia probably one of the best chances to medal, I think, since 2015, which I think is the last time they did medal at the World Juniors. And I would hope that they, you know, if they don't see the necessary, you know, on puck improvements uh, in the next month or so, that they do at least loan him back and then to the world juniors, if depending on the way he plays at that tournament, maybe they consider uh, sending him to the AHL. Maybe he goes back to the OHL. I mean, there's a bunch of Slovaks on the Erie Otters right now who hold his uh, CHL import draft rights. Uh, That could be an exciting fit for him. Um, You know, I think there's just so many options for the Habs to consider with Slavkovsky right now. And I think he looks like he's, making more of an impact than he did maybe even five or six games ago. But obviously there's so many things for him to be working on. The If the NHL is not the answer this season, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it, he's he was always going to be a project pick, a project prospect. You know, I think it was a little bit short-sighted to expect him to step into an NHL lineup day one uh, and make an immediate impact. I mean, it's so rare for players to be able to do that in their rookie season. I mean, look what Jack Hughes struggled in his rookie season and now look what he's doing, right? So I think prospect development isn't linear. You're going to expect to see them have growing pains and, you know, even first overall picks grow through go through growing pains. I mean, Bedard is doing the same thing right now in Chicago. I mean, we all thought he would be scoring six goals a game and that just hasn't been the case for him. So you know, obviously Slavkovsky's situation is a little bit different. We're talking about completely different players compared to Bedard and Hughes and that sort of thing. But I think the Canadians have all the right uh, intentions with Slavkovsky. And I hope that they, you know, consider other options than continuing to kind of force him into this NHL role. If he, you know, if the play continues to indicate that he's not quite ready for it yet, I don't think you know, going down to the AHL or even the OHL, I don't think necessarily that's even a demotion. I think it's just we want to give this kid an opportunity to succeed and to dominate offensively in a way that he didn't get a chance to even in his draft year in uh, Liga. So that would be my take on the situation. I just think it's way too soon to write him off. And I think the negative discourse surrounding the player, that he's a bust, that he was never, you know, deserving that first overall pick status I think it's unfounded I mean I think you just need to wait and see with a player like him yeah I mean what you mentioned earlier I think is one of the most important and also 
confusing points around Slavkovsky is the Canadians themselves, when they drafted him, said that they were looking at him as a long-term project to become, you know, like the best player that they could be. I think they quoted like five years, which, you know, for a first overall pick is a long time <laughs> to wait, right? But to say that he's a project and then keep him in the NHL at 18 and, uh, you know, when he, he was struggling when he was with the new hook at center and Anderson on the wing, Anderson has a history of kind of tanking lines defensively, as we know. Uh, but Slavkovsky's play was falling off big time. They put him on the top line and, you know, against top checkers, his last two games, I think have been a, a really significant improvement for him. Not perfect, of course, but it, it seems like what the Canadians are doing is like very intentional. And St. Louis said that like, they hadn't even talked about the AHL yet. So it's interesting to see how differently they see Slavkovsky and like his development path versus what a lot of fans want to see, which is, you know, go down a league or two leagues and absolutely dominate, go to the world juniors, score like 18 points in six games kind of thing. I, I, I don't know what exactly the Canadians are trying to accomplish right now, but it does seem like they have more confidence in him than the average fan does which i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> i'm i'm not part of the team it's, it's hard to know but i guess we'll see at the end of the the development line where they end up getting him they seem very confident in what they're doing at least all right let's uh talk about beck and meshar we'll start with meshar because we're already talking about slovakia and team slovakia and the world juniors here uh Last I checked, it was a pretty strong start offensively for Meshar in the OHL this year with Kitchener. How has he looked to your eye? Yeah, I mean, uh, Meshar has uh, basically ended up in the best possible place for offensive growth this season. I mean, Kitchener is the highest scoring team in the OHL this season. At one point, they were scoring on 25% of their shots, which is kind of a ridiculous shooting percentage. And uh, Meshar's return basically only really added to their already high octane offense. I mean, playing with guys like Carson Raykov and Hunter Brustevich is going to pad anyone's stats. But he stepped seamlessly into the lineup. I mean, he doesn't look out of place. Uh, you know, we at some point, a PDO crash should probably happen with Kitchener, but I would expect them to be a top team all year. Uh, they're definitely not the bottom feeder rebuilding team that I thought they might be heading into this year. Um, this particular Rangers team is probably the best case scenario for his development. I think I mentioned prior, heading into the season, I can't remember on uh, I think it was on a podcast, but uh, that I maybe the Habs would consider forcing a trade if the Rangers weren't, you know, uh, performing up to standards that they were hoping for. And, you know, now that he's uh, he was barely under a point per game last season, I think he had 51 points in 52 games. And this season he's on pace to eclipse the 100 point mark. And I think that's very reachable considering the talent that is on this Kitchener Rangers team. You know, he should head off to the World Juniors with a ton of confidence. Uh, I mean, whether the 1.80 points per game rate that he's currently producing at is sustainable or not, we'll see. But uh, it's really just certainly looks really encouraging with the way he's playing in Kitchener. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching him last year at the World Juniors and everyone kind of expected him to dominate. But at the same time, things weren't going well in Kitchener last year. There was issues with the coaching staff. I know uh the style they were playing didn't seem suited to his game either. It seemed like he was the most talented guy on the team, but it was not built around getting 
him in, in the proper spots. And then all of a sudden he goes to Slovakia and he was incredible at the World Juniors last year, especially the game against Canada, where he absolutely dominated in the stretches, even like head-to-head against Bedard and uh, Joshua Waugh at times. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do at 19. As you mentioned earlier, development's not linear, so you know don't expect him to put up five points a game at the world juniors or anything like that. But uh, I think he's a really intriguing prospect. What do you, where do you see him fitting on an NHL roster? I would assume not at center. No, I think a player like him is probably more suited to the wing. I think the Habs have a lot of center depth in the system. I mean, you, we're going to discuss Owen back in a sec, but uh, him, uh, Cedric Indon is also up on the rise through the OHL. Um, I think they're probably set at center. I mean, you look Suzuki and Doc when he's healthy, Monaghan, depending on how long he sticks around with this team. I don't necessarily think, at least in the short term, that he's probably going to stick at uh, center. He'll probably end up being on the wing in the NHL. And I think, you know, if you have a line where, you know, maybe Doc ends up centering Slavkovsky and Meshar one day, and I think that would be a really fun line if, you know, everything works out and, you know, Doc manages to stay healthy. Um, But I don't think maybe middle six wing, I don't think is out of the question. And they could try him on the top line with Caulfield and Suzuki and see how that looks. I mean, obviously it hasn't necessarily worked out with every winger that they put up there, but uh, it could be something that they experiment with, at least when Meshar has shown that he's able to produce at the NHL level when they feel like he's ready to take that step. I think returning him to the OHL this season was the right move. I think more often than not, prospects are not ready for the AHL at 19. Uh, even whether they're, you know, Shane Wright's in the AHL right now this season, but obviously with the unique circumstances of being drafted out of Europe and then going to the CHL afterwards, I think they made the right decision and, you know, loaning him back to Kitchener, I think after seeing how well the Rangers have started the season, that this is the place that he needs to be playing at least this season, go back, dominate, push for, you know, maybe an OHL scoring title. I highly doubt that considering his two of his teammates are, you know, close to setting, records as 18 year olds, but, uh, you know, this is really encouraging, um, spot for his development. And honestly, the sky is pretty much the offensive ceiling is pretty much the limit for him this season. There's no reason why he shouldn't, uh, score at least the triple digits this year. I mean, let, hopefully we see it. I know we've got, uh, I don't know if Sebastian Jackson is here in the chat tonight, but he's constantly telling us that Meshar is much better than what Canadians fans think because they're so focused on Yuri Coolidge doing great things in the American Hockey League. And we had David St. Louis elite from Elite Prospects on a couple weeks ago while he was in the chat with uh, Mitch Brown uh, on the show. And he was saying that Coolidge is kind of like tailor-made for the American Hockey League. And some players are that, right? They're just American League scorers. And maybe at the end of the day, Meshar can leapfrog Coolidge. Do you see him being able to to take big steps to the point where he's seen as more of a marquee prospect in the Canadians organization? Yeah, I think that's definitely possible, especially if, you know, he shows that offensive growth this season. I think we have to remember that the AHL isn't necessarily a developmental league either. I mean, the systems that some of the teams play are not conducive to NHL success or, you know, uh, depending on the type of player you are, obviously Meshar has always been more of an offensively minded guy and those guys don't always thrive in the AHL. Um, it's usually more the grinder type guys, the players who are going to be third line or fourth line players in the NHL usually are the ones who end up thriving in AHL systems. Uh, and I think, you know, 
I think we probably saw it a little bit with his the couple of games that Meshar got in Laval. He looked all right, uh, but you know he really is getting the opportunity in Kitchener that he wouldn't have gotten in Laval this season to, you know, really hone his skills and, you know, build that confidence that I think is so important when you're entering a draft plus two year, you know, your last year in junior. Uh, It's really important that you're at least proving that you can produce at this level of dominate uh, that I think, you know, obviously production isn't everything, but at least a 19 year old should be, producing fairly consistently in the OHL. So I think, you know, all the stars have kind of aligned for Meshar to have this really big developmental step forward this season. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, if there's anything that he could help the Canadians with in the future, I would assume it might be the power play because he has that shiftiness that it seems like they lack, the the speed of execution. The Canadians, I, I know their power play is decent all right this year and they got the one power play goal tonight, but they're still slow to make decisions. It, it seems to me they're just a little bit too cautious or too careful with the puck on the power play. And I just want to see like bang, bang plays. And it seems like Meshar is that kind of player when he has a little bit of time and space. Now let, let's talk about Owen Beck. As uh, everyone knows, Lauren Kelly is the authority on Owen Beck. Slow start to the year, but now up to seven goals in 11 games. How is Owen looking this season? Um. All right, so let's... Let's start, let's put the numbers aside for a minute. I mean, he's still doing all of the right things uh, that made him such a touted prospect in his draft year. I mean, the defensive plays, the off-puck reads, the work in transition. Um, Here's the thing with where he plays. Uh, Peterborough plays such an offensively restrictive system, and I do believe his overall production is being hurt by that. It's along with the fact that they don't have a ton of offensive catalysts, uh, that Beck is just so averse to taking offensive risk. It's just not a part of his game. He's playing like a third-line center. I mean, the off-puck, the transition work, the defense, they're all still there. But, I mean, I mentioned with Meshar, you would expect a 19-year-old to be dominating at least offensively, and, you know, only having one goal and zero assists through six 16 or six games sorry didn't exactly instill a lot of confidence that this was the direction that it was going to be heading in this season that was an 11 goal zero assist pace over the entire season which uh, was not encouraging in the slightest but you know obviously the last five games he's turned a corner he's got six goals to assist he's now on on pace for 54 points I think in 66 games I mean, don't get me wrong, that'd be a little disappointing given that we've been expecting this big offensive surge from him since he was drafted. And he had 66 points last year, but it's more of a respectable number, at least. Um, I just I just think this the where he is right now is like the complete opposite of what where Meshar is in Kitchener. I just think it's basically just killed any offense. I mean, Peterborough, he's basically marooned on an island there. So I would really, yeah. really like to see him traded at some point. Well, we saw that last season, right? Uh, in Mississauga, he was crushing it. And then he went to Peterborough in the trade, and it seemed like it was like 15 games before he really found his his spot in the lineup. And I know he had a pretty good playoffs until he <laughs> decided to go full dirtbag and got himself kicked out of the Memorial <laughs> Cup. <laughs> or no, he got kicked out of the OHL final, right? Yeah, and then yeah, the final, yeah. They decided that the... Did they de- decide that the suspension didn't count for the Memorial Cup? Is that yeah, they, they decided that it wasn't an OHL game and they would suspend him for the first game of this season, which obviously he missed because he was still at Canadians training camp. So that suspension was wiped clean, Lucky. basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, 
I just, I don't know where that leaves him for the rest of the season. I mean, uh, I don't know what Peterborough's plans are for this season. They traded Connor Lockhart a, a couple days ago, which seems to indicate that they're not anticipating a long playoff run. But the team is also first in the East Division, albeit it's one of the weaker divisions this season. Uh, I mean, best case scenario, I think they end up moving him by the deadline. But then, you know, where does that leave him for the time being? He's still got to make the World Juniors team. I don't believe that he's a lot to make it, given that the offense has fallen off so significantly. But he is likely going to be the only returning player for Canada. Uh, Canada shouldn't expect to get any of Bedard or Fantilli back. Uh, Wright has already won gold at this tournament, so Seattle may want to keep him in the AHL this time around. Korchinski looks like he's settling into a big role with Chicago. Um, And, you know, obviously we know that there are a lot of younger players. I mean, like uh, Matthew Poitra has probably taken the big step this season. He's made the Bruins full time. We'll see if they get him back for the tournament. Um, for him to be the only returning player or potential returning player. Uh, and he was, uh, he wasn't even around for the entire tournament. He only played the three uh, yeah. uh, elimination games, so to speak. So, you know, obviously there's no guarantee. I mean, we saw, I think Riley Kidney made the 2022 team and he was a cut from the 2023 team. So there's no guarantee that just because you are a returning player, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a lock to make this team. And I think given the slow start to the season, I don't think we should be penciling him in as like a concrete lock. I think he's still got to prove that, you know, in the next month in the OHL and then at selection camp, obviously he's definitely got to outplay some be- some players to make this team. I mean, I think, just based on the role he plays, they'll probably uh, the odds are probably better than you know for a guy who's so solidly a third line center, and that's what he's going to be in in the NHL. And I'm sure that's what the team is pen- already penciling him in the lineup for. Uh, I don't think I was hoping that maybe he would push for that first line center spot on the World Juniors team this year, and I don't know if that's what's going to end up happening. I think there's just too many other forwards who have taken that step offensively that obviously he hasn't. I mean, you look at Hunter Hayde and David Goyette. uh, Those are guys that probably will push for spots higher in the lineup at least. Um, Yeah. I mean, (laughs) the the biggest thing here is that I just think, I just think he has to get traded. I think a lot of the problems, at least offensively are uh, the system that Peterborough plays. So, So I've heard through the grapevine that if he does get traded, it could be, you know, one of two places. I mean, Sudbury would be really fun given all the young talent that they've got there, but they just added a guy like Alibor Dvorsky to shore up their center death. And then the other option, I think, is the Sioux. Uh, They're one of the top teams in the West, but they're also quite deep down the middle. My ideal landing spot for him would have been Saginaw, but the Spirit just traded almost all of their draft capital for another center, so that has gone out the window. And I wanted to bring this up because I think this is just maybe my like <laughs> hype dream now, but I think the one other place I would be curious to see him land more than anything else, and I haven't heard anything either way, but I wonder if he ends up back in Mississauga. They're the youngest team in the league. They were the top team in the league after the first month, but they're significantly weaker down the middle than I think their record indicates. Uh, and we already know that there's familiarity there and they could use his presence at least to shore up the center depth uh, defensively. They're kind of a mess. And Mississauga has the draft capital to be able to pull off a trade like that back for him. So I think that would be a really interesting fit. I don't know if, you know, it ends up happening, but I, I just I think he needs to get traded. <laughs> That's the gist of it. 
Yeah, uh, Evan B in the stream chat says watching several games of Beck this year. I think I think he's talking about Beck. So several games this year, his offensive creativity is concerning. He doesn't use his teammates well at times. Is that a fair uh, judgment? So, not necessarily in uh, in a negative way. I just think that Peterborough doesn't have the offensive catalyst to be to be able to support a player like that. I mean, you look at the goals he's scoring this season; they're all one and done shots. They're perfectly right. placed. He's put himself in the right areas. He comes off. He comes down the wall into the offensive zone. He picks his spot. And I think, you know, he's trying to make plays and connect them with his line mates. And it's the same sort of thing that I saw in his draft season in Mississauga, where his line mates just aren't either anticipating him enough or maybe he's sending or he's seeing things and openings and passing lanes that they're not recognizing and that sort of thing. So I think he's trying to his credit. Like, it's just there's not he there's not much help for him offensively. I mean, the line mates, the quality in line mates has just seemed to decrease with every game that I see. And they are constantly changing as well. So that kind of uh, instability, I guess, in who you're playing with probably also doesn't help in the playmaking issues. Yeah, it kind of sounds like Caden Gooley with Prince Albert, where everyone was talking about like, listen, this guy has some offensive potential, but it's never going to happen with this team. And then lo and behold, he gets traded to the Oil Kings and point per game, uh, much uh, better offense. And in the NHL, I feel like everyone talks about Caden Gooley as a defensive defenseman. What consistently surprises me is how involved he is in the rush and, and how well he transitions the puck up the ice and then in the offensive zone, like, He's actually pretty solid. I'm surprised the Canadians haven't used him more on the power play, but I guess when you've got Mike Matheson and, and Justin Bear and he gets pushed down a rung, and also they probably don't want to run him like 25, 30 minutes a night. Yeah, but, maybe uh, not yet. Yeah. Once Matheson has moved on from this team, maybe they'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, and then they'll have uh, Hudson and Reinbacher, hopefully, that are pushing for those minutes as well and be not too much pressure on uh, little Kalen. I mean, he's not little, but young Caden Gooley. All right, uh, let's get some questions here from the chat before we close this thing out. Um, Adam says that, uh, I think this is talking about Beck. Adam Dyer asks if uh, Beck was a late add due to injury. Yes, it was. Yes. Wasn't it Colton Dock? Yeah, it was injured? Colton Dock went out with, I think, his own separated shoulder in the New Year's Eve game. And then obviously we though we heard him scream on the broadcast from the ice. It was pretty grim. Uh, what did the docs do to the hockey gods to I, I don't know this? it's it's so unfair I mean you think Kirby was injured right before the tournament started in 2021 and then Colton, that's right Colton went down with an injury it just seems like they have such rotten injury luck which is so unfortunate because they're they're both good players and they deserve better fates than what the hockey gods have handed them lately yeah absolutely there was I'm trying to see if there's any other questions here tonight there might not be because let's be honest it's not not a not a bump in game after that one. Uh, oh, here's one from Trinka says, "Hey Lauren, just wondering how you ended up becoming a Lightning fan." That's a great question. Uh, there's no real concrete moment where I remember watching this team and being like, "I love them." And I think it, it stems a lot from my love of junior hockey. I was a junior hockey fan before an NHL fan, and I think you know you pick the right players and you end up following them to the NHL, and that's what happened with Steven Stamkos and Braden Point. And then at one point they were drafting all of my favorite junior hockey players, which of of which included Anthony Sorelli and Brett Howden and Taylor Radish. And then you know when an NHL team ends up drafting all your favorite players from junior, I think you feel inclined to cheer them on in the NHL, and then that lends itself to you know cheering the team on and. 
I don't know. It's just this is how we ended up here. (laughs) (laughs) Then they win you two Stanley Cups and you feel real good, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right. uh, Adam Dyer. Well, I I don't think either of us are experts on that question. Adam, he says, what's going on with the the Laval rocket? I don't know if you've seen Lauren, but they're an absolute mess this year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. So even better that Meshar didn't end up there then. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think everyone expected because they had a lot of like uh, bigger name prospects of the Canadians system moving into that spot. Um, I know uh, she's now I'm blanking on the name. The uh, the Swedish guy that they got Heineman, Emil Heineman. He got injured by a ref in like one of the first games of the season. Oh, yes, I did see that, yeah. Yeah, need in the head. So he hasn't been able to be a factor. Joshua Waugh has been phenomenal. Uh, Leah Anderson's not really a prospect, but he's been great too. Like the offense, it it seems to be on or off, but the defense, William Trudeau has had a really rough start to the season, which I think has thrown everything for a loop. Uh, Mayu and Norlander, you know, uh, have their issues defensively. It's been Jaden Struble who's kind of been the number one defenseman so far. And if Jaden Struble is the number one defenseman, that's probably not the best situation down Laval. And also you've got two goaltenders who aren't like A-level AHL goaltenders. So it's been a rough start for Laval, but I don't think it's anything really to worry about. The only people who thought that this was going to be like Laval wins the the Calder Cup? Yeah, yeah, yeah the Calder yeah. Cup. <laughs> like, I think that was just people overhyping the prospects coming in and not realizing that like the American hockey league is not a league usually where a prospect team wins. Like a lot of good veterans have to be on those teams to actually win. Yeah. And I think you look at a bunch of the guys that you just listed, I mean, Logan Mayo and Joshua Waugh, who looks fantastic in all the highlights that I've seen of him. Uh, but this is a relatively inexperienced group of players who is, you know, making their move into the professional hockey for the first time. And I think there are just going to be some growing pains that this team goes through. I mean, obviously I expect them to, you know, maybe not this season, next season, they might be better. Uh it's just uh, one of those situations where, you know, if the youth movement is coming in through the AHL, it's probably going to be an up and down year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, last question, then we'll close this out. Evan says, looks like every Trudeau is having a rough go right now. You're you're oh. not wrong. Every <laughs> Trudeau is having a rough oh. go right now. Uh, Claire Capaletti. Hi, Claire, says, uh, Lauren, your skin is flawless. What's your secret? Uh. Honestly, my skincare routine is relatively simple, and I think I've just been, uh, well, I would blame it on good genetics, but I actually had very bad skin as a teenager, really acne-pilled and everything, and I'm actually hiding a very big zit right now. So, uh, I don't know, just wash your face, have a dedicated, it doesn't have to be complicated skincare routine, just uh, make sure you're consistent with it. Uh, Wash your face twice a day, and moisturize, that's all you really need to do. There you go. It's easy. Thanks so much, Lauren, for coming on uh, Game Over Montreal tonight. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in after, you know, a third or fourth straight rough game for the Montreal Canadiens here. Third straight game where they played a team on the second half of a back-to-back and ended up losing. Not great. I know Marty St. Louis said they're a fragile team right now, which is strange considering how they started, but I don't know. Eventually life without Kirby doc was going to catch up with them a little bit. And that's probably what's happening now more than ever, ever or more than anything. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Really appreciate it. I know it's tough to uh, talk about games that kind of suck. So appreciate you standing here with me and uh, Lauren, before we close things out, tell everyone where they can find you. 
sorry, I, I feel like I missed the entirety of that last part. Oh, did you? you okay. Just the, your mic. <laughs> oh, no worries. I, I just said to tell everyone where they can find your stuff. Still not working. All right. Zoom's being a jerk. Oh, yes. You can, <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you can follow me uh, on Twitter or X or whatever it's called these days uh, at uh, Laura Kelly 24, L A U R Kelly 24. Uh, you can read my OHL stuff at EP Rinkside. I don't write all that often, not nearly as much as Mitch or David does, uh, but usually there's an OHL stock watch every month. Uh, check that out. See if uh, the Habs have any prospects that end up there. Uh, they didn't this month, but hopefully that changes next month. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you on Thursday.